Hey, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, we're joined by another guest co-host, Allison Green of the podcast and website, Ask a Manager. Hey, Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been a a fan of your um, website for a while now. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself for those um, that might not be familiar with you and about your show? I run the advice column, Ask a Manager, which is both a website and a podcast. And I answer questions about pretty much everything related to life at work. So everything from my boss is a micromanager to my coworker told me that I smell and I don't know what to do <laughs> to my boss is dating my dad. Those are all real letters <laughs> that oh I've gotten. <laughs> and originally Ask a Manager was just the website, but the podcast launched uh, about eight months ago, I think. And it's been really fun to actually talk to the people who are asking questions and be able to have back and forth with them on the show that you don't really get when I'm just writing an answer for the website. Sure, yeah. And um, I bet, oh man, I'd love to just pick your brain about all of the things that you've people have written in about because I'm sure there is quite the spectrum. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about burnout, which is something that I thought would be a, a something that you could speak to pretty well. Um, and it's something that's been on my mind lately after I, I recently attended this conference called Work It, which is a podcast festival for women, where Bridget gave a brilliant talk. And there was a whole session there on burnout. And I think it is something on a lot of our minds lately. Um, more and more, work is bleeding into personal life. And we're always on, we're always connected we're always on our phone, on our laptops. And I think this is a big reason why so many of us are experiencing burnout or perhaps barely keeping it at bay. Emily and Bridget did a whole episode on burnout about a year or so ago. So check that out if you want more info. And speaking of more info, it has been in the news a lot lately. A lot of studies around burnout, specifically looking at job sectors. We touched on one of these studies briefly in our Tokyo Medical University episode. Um, women in the medical field are more likely to burn out as compared to their male counterparts. Another study just came out looking at the digital demands on modern journalists and how, quote, seemingly endless sources of potential sources is causing journalists to feel overwhelmed, exhausted, and anxious, which are all hallmarks of burnout. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, Allison, what is burnout? Burnout is a very specific type of, of stress where you're drained and you're not performing the way that you would want to. And it usually results, well, when we're talking about it in a work context, I should say, it usually results from a long, sustained period of high workload and stress and pressure where you eventually reach a point where you just feel tired all the time and like you don't have the energy to keep going. And for some people, they become frustrated and cynical about their jobs, or they become frustrated by pretty routine workplace frustrations much more easily than they used to. Some people will start making mistakes because their energy and their focus has just been used up. Some people start feeling like they're not motivated to get up in the morning and go to work or to put in much effort once they're there. And pretty much always, 
it just makes you exhausted, both physically and emotionally. Yeah, um, one of the things that I kept running into when I was doing the research on this episode is people would describe this feeling of numbness, of, of feeling like they had no motivation, they were constantly exhausted, and they felt ineffective and pessimistic. Although, interestingly, men experiencing burnout typically don't report feelings of ineffectiveness. And like you kind of were alluding to, one thing to note is burnout generally means work-related burnout, but you can experience non-work-related burnout. For example, taking care of children and or aging parents, especially if you're doing that on top of a job. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever experienced burnout, Allison? Well, this topic is near and dear to my, <laughs> to my heart. Um, I feel like as, as someone who works for myself, I think freelancers and people who work for themselves at a really high risk of burnout because it's so easy to just work all the time because you feel like you things might be fine now work-wise, but in a couple of months, who knows what your workload will be like. Maybe it'll be much less, which means your income could be much less. So I think when you work for yourself, there is serious built-in pressure to just work as many hours as you physically can do it. And that is not sustainable in the long run. But I feel like like many people who work for themselves, I have been trying to navigate that for years. But you know, when I was listening to you talk about other contexts where you can get burned out, I was actually thinking (laughs) about a situation that I had about a year and a half ago when I moved. I moved into a much larger house and I hate moving. Everyone does. No (laughs) one likes moving, but I really hate it. I can't stand living out of boxes. It makes me feel like I'm camping and I don't like camping. (laughs) And so I always want to get unpacked immediately. Like I don't want a week after I move in, I want everything done. And so (laughs) I took on an insane amount of work and stress. And I remember feeling after about a week, like I had just hit a wall. Like I literally felt like I physically could not get up to do another moving related task. And I think that is obviously a much lower stakes kind of burnout (laughs) than when it's with your job or with, with, with something like taking care of kids or parents. But I think we all experience burnout in some context or another, even if it's not work. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I moved into my the place I live now, it was the middle of summer. It was probably 97 degrees Fahrenheit. And I was trying to, it'd been a long day. I had people helping me and they abandoned me. I don't blame them. The air conditioning wasn't working. And it, it was on the second floor and it's very narrow staircase and it curves around so there's a lot of like pivoting that you have to do and i it was really late at night and i was trying to hang these drapes so that i'm a very light sleeper and if like any light comes in i won't sleep so i was determined to hang these and then i was going to go to bed and my mom called me i don't remember what happened but the drapes fell over and i just said <laughs> I have to go, Mom. I cannot talk right now. Yes. It was awful. I had a drape-related emergency as well in in my move, so I completely understand. Uh, Have you heard from a lot of folks on your website and through the podcast now that are experiencing burnout? Yeah, I think it's really common. And I think my sense, and this is just anecdotal, but my sense is that it is increasing, and I suspect it is what you alluded to earlier, that we're all plugged in all the time. We're always connected to work. People can always reach us for many of us, not for everyone, but that's increasingly the case for people. And 
everyone always seems to feel busy. Everyone's always talking about how busy they are. And I don't think that was the case 20 years ago. Um, it is increasing. I suspect technology is the culprit. That technology. Again, going back to a phone call with my mom, I feel that every time I speak with her and she asks me, how are things? I have, I take a long pause and then I say, you know, still stressful. <laughs> it's, I'm like embarrassed to keep saying it, but it is still the truth. Yes. That's like a transcript of a conversation with my mother. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I'm becoming boring because that's always right. my answer. Right. And I'm always hoping I've got to come up with a better answer than still stressful, but I can't. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, we need to resolve to come up with something better. Yes. A more interesting conversation for our mothers. Yeah. Uh, when I was looking into factors that lead to burnout, I found this article uh, from Dr. Sarah Cotton, who is an organizational psychologist and director at the consultancy Transitioning Well. And she listed six primary factors. Expectation misalignment, uh, the job isn't what you expected. Unsustainable workload, mission exposure risk or work-associated trauma, working on autopilot so, you know, an employee is disengaged from the work if it's mindless or something like that. Passive-aggressive workplaces, this can lead to everyone thinking they're on the same page about changes, but nothing ever changes. And lastly, poor work-life culture. Would you, would you agree with those, Allison? That's interesting. They actually wouldn't be the first ones I would have named. I agree they can all lead to burnout. The thing I see most commonly is just really high overwhelming workload and unreasonable expectations. And either a manager who will not act with any urgency to change that, or very commonly, maybe more commonly, a person who has not been assertive and had a conversation with their manager about it. So they feel that it's not an option to change anything about their workload, but they haven't actually explored that. And there may be options that they haven't taken advantage of yet. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And um, here's the thing. Women in their 30s and 40s are at the highest risk of burnout. And this could be because of life changes, like having a child or child care or money, or it could be the type of jobs women are more likely to hold or both. And that's not all. We have some numbers for you. We've probably heard that um, women are more likely to report feelings of anxiety or stress when compared to men. We've done entire episodes on it, if you're interested. And researchers think that contributes to a higher burnout rate among women. And a survey from Cosmopolitan Magazine, <laughs> that almost holy of research institutions, found that of the 750 female respondents, 70% reported experiencing panic attacks or anxiety, and 40% said they sought out medical help because of these things. Half said they check work email every day, and over 75% said they feel a lack of motivation, leading some scientists to dub this as generation burnout. And I can say I have difficulty not checking my email. That is something that I am trying to get better about. Um, it's hard to take vacation when a part of your brain is always kind of checking in to work. Uh, so I, I relate to to a lot of this stuff that we're talking about. And it's I see it in a lot of my friends and a lot of my coworkers. Something else the study found is that a third of the women described their jobs as stressful. And in general, 
reported taking poor care of themselves, not getting enough sleep, over or under eating, drinking too much to cope with the stress and burnout. Um, And yeah, again, I can relate to a lot of that stuff. And it might go without saying, but stress and burnout take a physical toll, possibly manifesting in being more prone to colds, chest pains, higher rates of heart disease, headaches, or GI problems. It can manifest in these physical ways that also impact how well we can do our jobs and how well how well we feel and how well we can be in our social lives. It's it's got I think more impact than we realize. And Cosmo is not the only entity looking into burnout. Montreal University looked into it as well in a four-year study that followed over 2,000 people, 50% of them women, across multiple workplaces. And the researchers were tracking things like cynicism, effectiveness at work, and emotional exhaustion, those hallmarks of burnout we talked about earlier. And they found women were more likely to experience burnout. One of the reasons behind this, researchers speculate, is because of the different conditions women might encounter at work because of them being women. The low levels of authority and decision-making opportunities that women are more likely to experience at work when compared to men might lead them to higher levels of burnout, which has to do with the types of positions men are more likely to hold. That's interesting to me. I don't have any research on this, so I'm just going on what I see anecdotally, but I see plenty of burnout among women who have lots of authority and lots of decision-making opportunities. In fact, if anything, I think I see it more among women who have those things. So if I had to take a guess, I would say that women might experience burnout more than men because women, this is just wild speculation here, but I'm (laughs) going to say it anyway. From what I see, I think women tend to invest in their work in different ways than men do. When women are conscientious about their jobs, they get they often get very emotionally invested in the details in a way that men don't do as much. And obviously I'm speaking in generalizations here, so this isn't going to be true of every man or every woman. But from what I see, conscientious women are more likely than men are to take what happens at work personally and to feel a higher degree of obligation to kind of hold everything together and keep things running smoothly. And I think you see that same dynamic in homes as well. And so in the same job, a woman might be walking around with a higher stress level than a man just because of the way that she invests. And I would bet that is part of why there are higher burnout rates with women. I could totally see that. And I also, there's so many things probably at play here. And one of them I would say is we did an episode on um, emotional labor at work and how Oftentimes, women are expected to do these sort of extra social tasks at work, and I'm, I'm sure that's, that's a thing. And then also, I do think a lot of women in general, but probably in, um, in positions that do have a high level of authority, feel a set of expectation they think they have to meet. Um, so maybe they're always trying to prove themselves. I don't know. I I just feel like there's this pressure to be really, really good um, that perhaps men don't experience at the same way. And again, that is generalization too. (laughs) No, I think you're absolutely right. It's 
it's harder to be a woman, particularly as you get more and more authority and responsibility at your job. The expectations on you are more intense. You have to be perfectly pleasant to everyone all the time or you'll be seen as abrasive, but you can't be too pleasant or you won't be taken seriously. There's all of these conflicting expectations that are in tension with each other that men don't have in the same way. And I think you're absolutely right about the emotional labor component as well. And it's not just the really tangible emotional labor stuff, like you're expected to help clean up after meetings and be involved in the party planning committee. It's also more subtle stuff, um, like your demeanor at work and never looking pissed off even when you're frustrated. And there's something about how we're socialized as women. There's actually a piece of this, even separate from all of that, there's a piece of this that feels similar to me to how, like there's research showing that if there's a pair of socks lying on the floor at home, In a lot of households, it's the woman who's more likely to be the one who A, notices it, and B, is more bothered by it, and C, picks it up. And I think there's something similar to that that happens at work too, where women just feel more personal responsibility for making sure that things run well, and that people are happy, and that things feel harmonious. And we take that burden on ourselves in a way that men don't. Again, generalization, some men do, some women don't. But in general, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, I would agree with all of that. And I mean, we've, we've spoken so much on this show before about that whole kind of <laughs> tightrope that women have to walk where you can't, you can't be too much of this or too much of this. You have to be exactly that. And I think it does come into play in meetings and in like the clothes choices that you, you make. Uh, just so many things that are always in the back of our mind that are exhausting. It's exhausting thinking about that stuff. And um, going back to that study, the one out of Montreal University, it also found that low self-esteem and poor work-life balance are very important factors into why women burn out um, at higher rates compared to men. And if we step back and we ask, well, why does all of this matter? Aside from it sucks um, and it costs the economy and lost productivity, it has those ripple effects to your social life, to your overall health, and to a feeling of fulfillment. And I, I would hope that workplaces want to be a place, want to be somewhere where employees feel like they can be effective and they can be productive. It's better for everybody. Yeah, I would say from the manager side of thing. If I've got an employee who's burning out or in danger of burning out, that should really concern me because that's someone who is going to be less engaged with the work. They're more likely to make mistakes and they're more likely to up and quit one day. You know, so often managers aren't willing to step in and help with, say, an overwhelming workload because they think, well, there's no one else who could do this or she's so good at what she does. We really need her to be the one doing it. But if you ignore burnout, at some point that person is going to leave. I mean, everyone's going to leave at some point anyway, presumably, but that person (laughs) is going to leave earlier than they might otherwise. And so it it makes no logical sense. If if you invest in preventing burnout with someone who's great at their job, you're going to have them around doing that great job for a lot longer. Absolutely. And we are about to talk about prevention, but first we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. 
So the best medicine is prevention, right? That's what we always hear. How do we prevent burnout? And we can look at this on two levels. Um, on a personal level and more on a managerial level, right? Um, so one thing is to recognize the symptoms. If you catch yourself thinking things like, I have to be perfect, good moms don't do, insert whatever it is here, I can handle this on my own, then you might want to step back and maybe reassess. <laughs> uh, look at if maybe you're going through burnout. Uh, another thing is having a good social support system that helps in so many ways, so many different things. Me time! Uh, find something that is just for you, a way to unplug once a day. It can be a short thing or a long thing, whatever you can fit into your schedule. Another one is exercise. Whatever that is for you, it could be a walk, yoga, stretching. I actually try to do something outside once a day, and I find that this has been so beneficial for me. To the point that sometimes if I feel a headache coming on or I'm feeling extremely stressed, I can go outside for a bit, like literally minutes, and it helps relax me. Sometimes it could all be in my head, and that's an unintentional pun, but it makes the headache go away. And I know this is not an option for everyone, but if you can, I highly recommend being outside at least once a day. Make time for sleep. Good sleep. I am terrible at this, but <laughs> I think a lot of us are terrible about, about getting good sleep. But it is important. And another thing is setting clear boundaries. And this one has been a real challenge for me too. But I try not to work once I get home at night or on the weekends or on vacation. I have gotten better. I don't do social media if I can avoid it, which in this line of work is it's difficult to avoid, but it's something that's always on. So if I can't avoid it completely, then I try to set, like, these are my social media hours. An hour before bed, I stop looking at my phone. Uh, and this is something the journalist in that study at the top said they did as a way to try to manage their workload. Some of them said they deleted Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. If email is something that overwhelms you, and I have so many friends who say their inbox is a source of huge amounts of stress for them to the point that they won't even check it. And then it becomes more and more stressful because more and more emails keep coming in. Inbox rules are something that helps some folks, having rules where, where what emails get priority. Some go to a folder that you never see again. I remember a friend called me once, and she was in the midst of a panic attack, and I knew it was serious because most people who know me know I will go to amazing lengths to avoid talking on the phone. I helped her make a list of small, simple, accomplishable things, and we went through her inbox one at a time, and it really helped her. So these are some ways to prevent burnout. Do you have any, any other suggestions, Allison? I think those are great. One I would add is just really paying attention to yourself and how you're feeling and not ignoring signs of stress. If you've had week after week or month after month of feeling exhausted and stressed, recognize that as a huge warning sign because I think some of us tend to just keep going even after months of stress and exhaustion. And that is asking for trouble. I'm guilty of this. So this is very much like the doctor who doesn't take her own medicine. But, <laughs> mm -hmm. but when you start first noticing yourself feeling that way over a sustained period, pay attention to it, schedule a vacation, get some time off, disconnect from work, and figure out what is at the root of it. If the way that you're feeling 
is a sign that whatever is causing it isn't sustainable, you've got to come up with another approach. Maybe not for next week, maybe not even for next month, but you've got to get something in motion that's going to address that situation. And I think the other thing is to not assume that just because you can work crazy hours for months on end, that you should. Just because you can do it does not mean it's a wise long-term strategy. It might be a very bad long-term strategy because if you burn out, you're going to do a worse job and you might end up in a place where you can't do much of anything at all. So just do all the things, even if it exhausts me, is not a sound strategy for work or for life. And I think too, building in time for breaks, real breaks where you disconnect from work, you go on vacation, you just lounge around on your couch, whatever it is, you do stuff that relaxes you and makes you happy. That is a really key thing because when we're busy, that is often the stuff that we cut out because it feels more cuttable than everything else. But in the long run, it's really not. Not if you want to sustain whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, so much. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've had to just resign myself to, I know I could do better than what I'm doing, but I don't have the energy anymore. And that is not a good <laughs> approach to have at a job, especially when I'm, I love my job and I care about my job and I want to do the best that I can. But I do feel this pressure and a lot of it is pressure I'm putting on myself. No one is <laughs> asking me to do these things to keep pushing and to do all of the things. And I've had to step back from from this schedule that I made for myself. I remember having a conversation with a friend where I said I felt trapped in my own life. And it was because I just had scheduled everything out and I had no free time. And that is not a sustainable model to have in life. Yeah. And so often, just as you're describing, we are the ones doing it to ourselves to some degree. And I think if you are a conscientious person, and that's a wonderful trait, we should all be conscientious, right? But this is the dark side of conscientiousness is that we will do this to ourselves and we will create these traps of our own making. Mm-hmm. And something I wanted to go back to that I think that you could speak to more than I can is um, work-related burnout doesn't just happen to folks in the office. I think we have this vision when we hear burnout and it's somebody at a cubicle or otherwise in an office, but it impacts remote workers as well, people who work from home, people who are their own bosses. And one of the reasons when I was researching why is that people feel a need to do more work to thank their employee for giving them the option of flexible work hours and working remotely. But the the number one thing was feeling a a pressure from within to just keep working. Has that been your experience? Yes. I think it goes back to, again, conscientiousness. If you are conscientious, you want to make sure that people know that you're on top of your work. You're not taking advantage of working remotely to just play with the cat and do laundry all day. (laughs) You feel like you want to prove to people that you're just as much on top of your work as you would be if you were in the office. And so you end up putting pressure on yourself that no one else would be putting on you in many cases. It actually reminds me 
This is going to sound like a tangent, and maybe it is, but it actually reminds me of something that you see with companies that offer unlimited vacation time. That sounds great. Unlimited vacation time. You can take as much time off as you want. Who wouldn't want that, right? Mm -hmm. What you actually see in companies that offer unlimited vacation time is that people take a little bit less on average than they took when the company was offering a specific set number of days per year because, again, conscientious people don't want to look like slackers and they get really worried about what kind of perception there's going to be about their time off. And so they err on the side of caution and they take less time. And I think that there's something in there that's very similar to this thing that happens to remote workers where they feel like they need to prove, no, look, I am really working hard. Absolutely. And I have noticed at at my job, when I've had these conversations with coworkers, none of us, hardly any of us, a big percentage of us don't really take vacation days. We get to the end of the year and we have all of our vacation days. And I think part of the problem in our case is we love our jobs. And so it's been, for me, defining... Yes, I love my job and I love researching everything. And it's hard to untangle that sometimes from uh, this is still work. And it, it is work and it is stressful, but I do love it. And so I've had to be very firm with, I know you want to know everything there is to know about chewing gum. You've got to go home. <laughs> Yeah, this is a piece of it I think that doesn't get talked about very much because if you love your job, that's great. Everything must be happy all the time and and fulfilling and that's not the case. And often loving your job does drive you to work crazy hours that feel fine for a while because you're doing something you really enjoy. But it tends to entangle you with more and more commitments and then you wake up one day and you've committed yourself in all of these different directions and there's no space for relaxing anymore. Mm-hmm. And as we record this, if, if we go back for a minute to non-work-related burnout, it's the holiday season. And this morning, the hashtag uh, signs Santa's burnt out was trending. And <laughs> the never-ending list of, of errands, of the gift wrapping and finding the gifts, the cooking, the decorating, the social obligations, the extra workload that you might take on so that you can take time off. It's a lot, and this is a big time of year for burnout in part because of that. One casual survey found that one-third of respondents reported festive burnout. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's weird. There's like a, there's a weird tension in all of these activities that we really like, jobs that we love, holidays that we're presumably celebrating because we enjoy celebrating them and all that comes along with that. But again, especially for women, I think there's a burden associated with them too. I was discussing with a friend the other day about how as I've gotten older, the holidays have become this huge stressor where it's almost a joke, right? That's what you see in in SNL or, or even in commercials that, oh, this holiday season get rid of some stress by doing this or <laughs> it's just kind of assumed that there's going to be all this drama and stress with them and i that is both kind of funny and kind of sad i don't know how we've reached this point but i do think that 
we have. And that is something else in our office is it is really when the holidays come around, it's very stressful because you don't really stop publishing podcasts. So you have to figure out how you're going to get around that. Um, But there's supposed to be this fun, relaxing time of year. And of course, we found a way to make it very stressful. Yeah, I'm curious if that is universal. I feel that way too. But I now I'm wondering if my husband feels that way. And I suspect that he doesn't. So I'm going to ask him later today. But I suspect there are some people who don't. And I want to find out what their secret is. My hunch is that they're just not taking on the sort of internalized pressure and obligations that some of us take on. Well, report back (laughs) what your husband says. (laughs) And listeners, if you have a different experience, please write in because I cannot think of anyone in my personal sphere that, I mean, we're we're excited to go eat food and stuff, but generally (laughs) we're pretty stressed out about the whole thing. Yeah, I feel like there's a long to-do list that's associated with the holidays. But I'm going to check in with my husband on this. I, he has a very happy-go-lucky attitude about the holidays, and now I'm wondering what his secret is. Well, definitely let us know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I saw a comparison pop up over and over and over again is that burnout is like the frog in the boiling water. A lot of people don't realize that they have it until they reach this crisis point. And then what do you do? What do you do if prevention didn't work? and you are burnt out. We will get into that after one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So say we didn't take all of these prevention steps, or we did, but nothing else changed, and we are experiencing burnout. What do we do, Allison? I think first figure out where it's coming from. If it's workload, which it is for a lot of people, then you've got to step back and figure out where to cut. And depending on your job, that might be a conversation that you have to have with your boss. People often feel like there's nothing that they could realistically cut. It just all has to get done. And so there must be no point in having that conversation with their boss. But if you are good at your job and your boss is even halfway decent, your boss doesn't want to lose you. And so if she hears that you're burning out and that she is potentially at risk of losing you entirely, a smart boss is going to find ways to help you manage your workload so that she can keep you rather than lose you altogether. Now, you might have a bad manager who is no help in this regard. Lots of people do. But it's still worth initiating that conversation so that you know for sure because managers sometimes surprise people. I've had the experience myself of thinking there's nothing here that can possibly be cut out. There are no options. But then my boss heard the situation, took it seriously, and helped me move things around. You don't know until you try. And actually, I've been on the other side of that too, where I've sort of had to drag out of an employee what was going on. They weren't bringing it up because they figured there were no options. What was the point in even talking about it? Maybe they would just look like a complainer. But once I pulled it out of them, we were able to move things around. So you don't know until you try. But if you do try and it goes nowhere, your boss is no help, you're still stuck with all the same work, that is good information. That is not, don't feel like that's a failure. That is still a very useful conversation to have had. Because if your boss tells you, nope, nothing can change, you have to keep this unrealistic workload, 
Now you know that that is not where the solution lies. You're going to need to take steps of your own to change it, which usually is going to mean deciding if you want to look at other job options. But don't jump straight there until you have the conversation first. And the other thing, it sounds so obvious, but take a vacation, a real one, not a few days. (laughs) When you're really stressed out, it takes more than a few days to unwind. I think it can take a few days just to stop thinking about work. I think you need a minimum of a week two weeks or better. And it should be a time where you completely unplug. No checking emails, no taking work calls. You've got to not think about work for a good solid amount of time so that you can start getting back to your baseline of feeling normal. And sometimes if you do that, that can make a real difference. Sometimes that break will be the thing that makes you realize, oh, okay, this situation is actually untenable. I need to take steps to change it. And it gives you the resolve to do it. Or maybe you realize, oh, I need to get out. But it's nearly always going to give you some kind of clarity about where to go next. And it's very hard to get that kind of clarity when you're in the middle of the stress. I know some people sometimes think, yeah, I mean, I'd love to take a vacation. That sounds great. But part of the problem here is that I literally cannot make the time to do it. You just have to find a way. And I think the way to look at this is if you got really sick tomorrow, you would somehow find the time to be out. It would be an inconvenience, but you would find a way to do it. It's doable when it absolutely has to be. And I think you have to see this situation as one that is a situation where that needs to happen, just as if you had like a really bad flu. Because if you don't treat it that way, you are eventually going to get so burned out that you won't be able to stay in that job at all. And if you think they can't spare you for a week or two, what is going to happen when you wake up one day and, and can't face ever going back? So getting yourself a week or two now helps ensure that that doesn't happen. So time off, take it. Absolutely. I know that vacation can feel frivolous and I, I'm definitely someone, I love traveling. It's strange. I love traveling, but um, I don't really take vacation. But recently, I won a trip to Disney World and part of this package was I won, but I had to go and sit through a timeshare meeting. <laughs> they were trying to sell me a timeshare and um One thing I really took from that is they had a 30-minute presentation on the importance of vacation. And, of course, they were motivated in trying to get you to go in on this timeshare. But I did kind of walk away thinking, huh, yeah, I haven't really put vacation in terms of, like, overall health and productivity. So, I, you know, I learned something from that timeshare meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Did you buy the timeshare? No, but they were very (laughs) determined. (laughs) And I texted my friends and I was like, oh, I bought it into the timeshare because I was kidding. And they all believed it and panicked. I didn't know they were panicking. (laughs) And I came back and they're like, Andy, no, why did you do it? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I do think there is a mental shift that people have to do that we there are certain things that we feel are optional vacation time for ourselves some of our sleep time it feels like those are the things that can be cut and so we cut them but i think there's like this long term longer term perspective that we need to have which is that in the long term those things should not be cuttable and going off of that ariana huffington of huffington post 
she founded this thing called Thrive Global. And as a part of that, she's been digging into ways to end this culture of stress and burnout. And part of that culture, particularly here in the U.S., has for a long time been lauded, I think. I, it was good to be a workaholic. If you weren't stressed out by work, you weren't working hard enough or you didn't care about your job enough. And so we need to change that mindset and start prioritizing health and well-being. <laughs> That's one important step of that. Um, and it's good for the bottom line, too. Yeah. I think there is a thing where on some level, sometimes people feel like, well, they're busy because they're important. And uh, yeah. so it gets all tied up with, I don't know, questions of merit and virtue. And and that's so unhealthy. And there that is a cultural shift that we need to make. And I don't think we're we're at all close to really making it in a real way. No, I don't think so either. Um and another thing that we really need to work on that you mentioned earlier is communication. Because I can say personally, I feel or I have felt in the past that someone will give me a job to do and then they'll give me a deadline and they don't ask how long it'll take. They just give me a deadline and they clearly have no idea what goes into what they're asking me. Um, so I think having a realistic expectation and to get that, you have communication, um, check in with people that you're working with, uh, see how they feel about their workload. And even earlier, I read in a lot of places during the interview process, be clear about expectations and the job description so people know what they're getting into. Yes, absolutely. And I love your point about the deadlines that people give with no real communication or, or understanding of what might go into it because so often you can push back, but people don't realize that. They get a project with a deadline and they think, well, I guess I just have to find a way to make this work, even if it's going to be a, a great hardship. But so often, like one or two sentences can change everything. You can say, oh, it would be really hard to get that to you by the end of the week. Would two weeks from now work? And so often you'll hear, yeah, that's fine. So if something feels like it's going to be really onerous or it's going to keep you at work late or it's going to interfere with you just being able to have a, a reasonable week, you can just ask to change it. And not the answer won't be yes every time, but it will be yes a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think a little bit at what, a, what might prevent you from asking that is you want to look like you're really good at your job and you don't want any questions of your productivity uh, to, to come back after this exchange. But I do think that sometimes the person on the other end just doesn't realize. And if you are clear about you know, I think it'd be better if it has more time. Um, I could put in more work into it. Then I believe that most people would be reasonable with that and would want that. Yeah. And if you put yourself in their shoes, you know, if you imagine sending a project off to someone and you're thinking, eh, it would be nice to have it by Friday, I'll tell them Friday. If that person then comes back and pushes back and says, actually, what about the following Wednesday? it's very unlikely that you're going to think, oh, what a slacker, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, unless you have some experience with them already that has told you that they are indeed a slacker. Right. But assuming that's not the case, normally you're not going to think anything unflattering about them. You're, you're going to be very matter-of-fact about it and just think, yeah, that's fine. Or, or, it's, or it's not, and you'll tell them that it's not. But usually you're not going to be drawing pejorative conclusions about someone because of that. And 
despite that, despite knowing that that is how we would react if we were in their shoes, so often we still don't feel comfortable pushing back, and we should. We should. And a 2017 survey found that 23% of companies in this sample provided burnout prevention programs. So companies are starting to look into ways to to prevent this. And 17% offered reintegration programs, which I'm really interested in. Do you know anything about those? No, I don't. And I'm so curious because my initial reaction is, I bet that's something that's put on by HR. <laughs> and it feels like lip service to everyone else. Because I think to to do it really well, you would have to make sure that your culture and your managers were really bought in. Because... I mean, you could have the greatest anti-burnout prevention education program in the world, (laughs) but if you still have managers overloading people with work and not being proactive about helping people ensure they have a manageable workload, it won't mean anything. Right. It is interesting to me that it feels like burnout has become sort of a buzzword. I think last year, a couple years ago, I was trying really hard to pitch this show where the company would send me to Antarctica. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I had this whole PowerPoint presentation, and it was going to be through this scientific research company. <laughs> uh, and they provided me with some slides that they were like, your boss will love this. There's no way they'll be able to turn it down. And one of them, it was just said burnout in big letters. And it said, it had all these statistics about it. And then, you know, giving giving me this opportunity would help me prevent burnout. And I just thought, huh, how interesting. <laughs> so wait, what happened with the Antarctica show? I I feel like it was a success. And I even I had a partnership and we were planning it. And then uh, they wanted me to do this whole food show. I haven't given up on it. <laughs> I could be in Antarctica. <laughs> I am determined. This is like... I've been trying to make this happen for years, so. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would go for the food show. I don't even know what that entails, but that already sounds good. Yeah, when they were like, well, you'll probably get to travel and eat and drink a lot of things. I was was in. Okay, Antarctica, I'll I'll come back for you. (laughs) Yes, it'll still be there, hopefully. One other part of this conversation uh, as we close here comes up in every episode, um, but dismantling the the structures of sexism and racism that put added stress on women and people of color and LGBTQ folks, other marginalized folks, that lead them to burnout at higher rates. That's a huge thing, but it does impact so much of what we talk about, and burnout is not immune. Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, We talked about it specifically for women, that conscientious women tend to, A, take more emotional labor and responsibility on, and B, face more pressure to just like get the one sweet spot that's going to be acceptable for them at work. And I think people of color, and particularly women of color, face something very similar, if if not more difficult to deal with, where only a, a very narrow range of emotions are acceptable to display at work, for instance. And... That's exhausting to function like that all the time. It is so exhausting. And this pretty much brings us to the end of this episode, but I would really love 
for listeners to write in if they've experienced this. And Allison, please report back if you find out that your husband doesn't stress or burnt out about the holidays. Yes, I'm I would going love to. to hear that. I'm going to quiz him. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? I am online at askamanager.org, and my podcast is Ask a Manager, and my book is Ask a Manager, How to Navigate Clueless Colleagues, Lunch-Stealing Bosses, and the Rest of Your Life at Work. Oh, lunch-stealing bosses. <laughs> oh, that it's just a thing. Made me They're mad. out there. <laughs> <laughs> I had to tell that person to buy a locking lunchbox. Ooh. And that solved it, actually. Really? Yes. What if it had escalated and the boss had taken the lunchbox? Yeah. (laughs) I know. Or brought in some kind of like, I don't know what that equipment is that they break locks with. Yes, I know. This boss was determined. And actually my letter writer had all of these dietary restrictions. So it wasn't like she could just go out and buy herself lunch after her lunch was stolen. She had to eat what she brought in and he was stealing it. So the lock was the way to go. Oh, people are so rude. I do. People are bizarre. (laughs) That is pretty strange. I do love the politics around the office kitchen. In our in our office, it's led to some hilarity, some conversations I've overheard that have given me a chuckle. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, there's, I mean, there's lunch thefts. There's the fact that no one will clean the crumbs off the counter. There's the disgusting things that people cook in the office microwave. It's an <laughs> endless source of drama. Oh, I had such a conundrum last year because I bought in a dish that had fish in it, and I was, like, torn all day, and I didn't, I just ate it cold. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I get a lot of complaints about fish microwavers. I knew I would never, people would never look at me the same again. It's true. Anyway, uh, you can find Allison online, and you can find us online as well. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew Howard, and thanks to you for listening. (laughs) 